I'm Rachel Cassandra, and welcome again to Midday Magazine for Thursday, December 1st. A man remains missing after a fishing vessel ran aground near Point Baker on Prince of Wales Island Sunday, November 27th in the afternoon. That's according to Alaska Wildlife Troopers. The boat was the Randy Joe. There were two adults on the boat, a man and a woman. Both were able to escape the boat and get into a skiff and make it to a small rock island. Then both the boat and skiff were lost. The woman spent 24 hours on the rock island with her dog before a good Samaritan vessel picked her up. Troopers say she declined medical evaluation. The man, 27-year-old Arnie Dahl of Point Baker, is still missing. He tried to swim to the next island on Sunday and was not seen again. The U.S. Coast Guard and Wrangell Search and Rescue searched the area for multiple hours to find him, but couldn't. Tim Bunis had search and rescue for Wrangell's fire department. He says the search started the afternoon after the boat was lost. I think the Coast Guard got their first call about 1.30 to quarter to 2 on Monday, and the boat actually went down the day before, um, just after dark. Punis says they worked with the Coast Guard to search the area. The Coast Guard used their helo or helicopter. They got there just uh, shortly after our airplane got there, and then uh, our plane and the helo were able to coordinate uh, what areas that they wanted us to search. He says he's in awe that the woman survived overnight. You know, I think it was pretty amazing that, that she was able to get through the night um, you know, it was it was fairly cool out, I think somewhere around 26 degrees, and probably a little windy on that rock that she was on. According to troopers, the active search and rescue ended Tuesday. If new information emerges, the state troopers and Coast Guard may restate, restart further search and rescue efforts. A former Alaska couple has been ordered to pay nearly $1.5 million for taking money from a Yakutat elder. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the couple took hundreds of thousands of dollars and used it to retire early and buy a home in Texas. A decade ago, former Tanana Superintendent of Schools Carla Sigler and her husband Vernon James Sigler approached a friend with a big ask. The couple wanted a quarter of a million dollars to put towards Carla's retirement. Their friend, 86-year-old Yakutat elder Neva Ogle, agreed to lend the Siglers the money they were all living in Yakutat at the time and knew each other well. In a handshake deal, Ogle wrote the couple a check. The Sicklers started repaying Ogle $1,000 a month. A year or so later, Ogle approached them in an attempt to get the money back. But they asked for more. They told Ogle that the quarter million wasn't enough and that they needed another 50000 The Sicklers later cashed a check for 450000 that they said in court was a gift. But Ogle hadn't written it. The state later presented evidence that it was Carla Sigler who wrote the check, even though Ogle signed it. That's according to Beth Goldstein, an attorney with the state's Office of Public Advocacy. So when it comes down to it, what we learned throughout this lawsuit was that these individuals, the Siglers, they took 63% of all of the assets that Neva had on hand, not counting her house. Shortly after receiving the second check, the Siglers moved from Yakutat to Bosque County, Texas, where they purchased a five-bedroom house with a swimming pool, all with Ogle's money. Carla Sigler was elected Bosque County Treasurer in 2016. 
Goldstein says the couple had made Ogle many promises. They would pay her back when they sold the auto business. They'd pay her back when they sold. They had a house in Fairbanks. They had a house in Yakutat. Neva received no funds from any of the sales of these things. When Ogle was 88, about a year later, she went to the local police in Yakutat who recorded her. She told officers that the checks were loans that she wanted to get back. She wanted her heirs to have something when she was gone. Goldstein says this police recording was vital to the case. The Yakutak Police Department was instrumental in finding this recording. And even though none of the officers were currently with the department anymore, they did come back and testify for us. And they were fantastic. The police told Ogle to get something in writing. So she went to the couple, who happened to be in Yakutat at the time, and Carla Sigler drafted an agreement, which Ogle signed. That was April of 2014. The agreement had no minimum payments and forgave the debt upon death. And it was completely in Carla's favor, completely contrary to what we heard Neva wanted in the tape. Months later, when the couple moved to Texas, Ogle went to an attorney and filed a lawsuit. She'd been forced to sell her home and move into an assisted living facility after she had spent much of her remaining savings on living expenses. The state of Alaska got involved when, in 2016, a bank notified them that Ogle was giving money to a scammer. State attorneys filed for a conservatorship, if nothing else, to stop the bleeding. Shortly afterward, the state found out about a private lawsuit and offered to step in as the plaintiff. The state filed civil elder fraud charges against the Siglers. A five-day bench trial was held in March, and Juno Superior Court Judge Daniel Shalley entered a final judgment against the couple on November 13th. They were ordered to pay back Ogle's $700,000 loan with interest and pay $450,000 in punitive damages, plus attorney's fees. All told, the judgment totals $1.47 million. Ogle died in 2020 while the case was still pending. Her heirs are expected to get about a million dollars of the judgment. The couple has never admitted to any wrongdoing, according to court documents. Goldstein says the case is not uncommon. We see cases all the time like this. Um, a lot of times it's family members getting the elder to sign something, a quick claim deed or a power of attorney or just, you know, loaning money under the parameters where they're never going to get paid back, ever. She says it's important for seniors and the people who care for them to learn to recognize the signs of fraud. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. And you can find links to more information about elder fraud with this story on kfsk.org. There were no fatalities within Alaska's commercial fishing fleets this year for only the second time on record. And as KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, the U.S. Coast Guard says the credit belongs to the fishermen themselves. For the first time since 2015, Alaska has gone a year without a commercial fishing death. The Coast Guard says in the 12-month period that ended September 30th, no one died falling overboard in an on-deck accident or on a sinking ship. Scott Wilwert is the Coast Guard's commercial fishing vessel safety coordinator. He says fatalities have been cut almost in half over the last decade. You know, from 1990 to 1999, we had uh, 210 what we classify as uh, operational commercial fishing fatalities in Alaska. And in the 10-year period from 2000 to 2009, that dropped uh, from 210 to 107. And then from 2010 to 2019, down to 62. 
Wilwert says there have been just 10 commercial fishing deaths in Alaska since 2020. So, yeah, we definitely are seeing a downward a decreasing trend in, in the number of commercial uh, operational fatalities in the industry. But what exactly is causing that downward shift? Wilwert says it's a combination of changing fishery regulations and an industry culture focused on preventing accidents. I believe that, you know, the fishermen that, that, that I come in contact with and all our examiners come in contact with are, are much more safety conscious. They understand the risks. They take the preparations um, you know, and, and that's a big piece of the puzzle. Wilwert says that's a sharp contrast to the 70s and 80s, when short openings encouraged captains to fish in an all-out sprint, sometimes sacrificing safety. The way that fishermen now in certain sectors are able to, um, to some extent, choose when they want to go out, maybe, uh, you know, maybe skip a weather window or look for a better weather window, as opposed to the old derby days when, you know, back in the 70s and 80s when, uh, you know, overloading, um, or deck loading with, with fish or overloading with gear because you only had four or six or eight days to, you know, to catch all the, the crab or the halibut or whatever. Wilwert emphasized how important it is for mariners to stay up to date on safety recommendations and equipment and to take part in the dockside exams offered by the Coast Guard before it's too late. The time to learn how to use any of that stuff is, is not at the moment of truth. Tracy Welch is the executive director of United Fishermen of Alaska. We're a big industry, but in a way, we're a really small industry. Everybody knows somebody um, who knows somebody, right? And so those deaths um, are tragic. Welch says she also thinks things have changed over the last few decades when it comes to education. I think with the younger generation of fishermen coming in and moving towards more rationalized fisheries as opposed to the derby-style fisheries, it's um, given people a chance to focus on safety and making sure that people make it home at the end of the day. Welch says she hopes the trend continues. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. Juneau police gave very few details last week when they announced that they arrested Anthony Michael Migliaccio in connection with the killing of Faith Rogers. But court documents tell the story of how he ended up in police custody for a separate incident. Back in June, Migliaccio was accused of harassment by a barista at a coffee shop in the valley. She said he threw a cup of feces at her, according to court documents. Two days later, the police obtained footage of the incident, and the case was forwarded to the city's attorney, the city attorney's office, according to the Juno police. Nothing in the court documents explains what happened with the case for the next three months. Juno police couldn't say what happened after the handoff to the city attorney, and the city's attorney office did not respond to requests on Monday. But on September 21st, Faith Rogers' body was found near the Kakdigudu Wuhinde, or Brotherhood Bridge Trail. Charging documents for the murder charge show that Migliaccio was detained and questioned that day and then presumably released. A little over a week later, Migliaccio was arrested on the harassment charges, a misdemeanor. He wasn't sentenced, though, until the day before he was arrested, for murder in connection with the killing of Faith Rogers. That arrest took place at an address consistent with Lemon Creek Correctional Center. The state declined to comment on any questions that pertain to the murder charge, according to the Juneau District Attorney's Office. Almost every high school wrestling team in the region will be traveling to Petersburg this weekend for Petersburg's only home meet of the season, it will most likely be a dual-match tournament. 
That means each school will compete against one other school this weekend and will enter one wrestler per weight class. KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto caught up with head coach James Valentine this week at practice. All right, so our tournament this weekend, you know, this is the first home tournament uh, of the, or the only home tournament of the year for us uh, for wrestling, and it's really exciting. We're, uh, surprisingly enough, we're getting uh, feedback from all the other southeast towns, and we're actually getting damn near everybody. Everybody's showing up, and uh, with surprising numbers, to be honest. I didn't expect that just because this is the tournament right before Regions, but with that being said, it's exciting because then we have a lot of kids here, which means we'll have hopefully uh, a dual tournament-style tournament. Because duels, like if you were to go to 48, lower 48, Usually schools just drive to another school. They do one or two rounds of wrestling, and it's just school versus school. There's benches on each side, and every kid just going after each other, and it's a really cool environment. Southeast doesn't get to do that. So we're trying to incorporate that with the help of, you know, all these people, Dithane, our AD Jamie, the other coaches, uh, to try and make this work as a dual tournament style. A little bit on Friday night from 5 to about 7 or 8 and then Saturday we're going to start wrestling 10 a.m. Uh, all the way into the evening and we have senior appreciation at 5 o'clock uh, or 5, 5.30 we're still working on that everything's about timing and then we're having a small gymnastics little showing from my wife uh, she's doing a little showing during the tournament from at like 3.30 to 4 and all her kids are going to go on the mat and show a little gymnastics routine and then a senior appreciation following that, and then finals are going to be following that. So it's going to be an awesome weekend. You know, come and support our Vikings, and uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight or mention about the season so far? After Alaska Christian Schools, I'm going to be honest. After uh, Anchorage Christian Schools, our biggest tournament up in Anchorage. Uh, we all came back, and we did a fantastic weekend there. And then we went to the Ketchikan Bill Wise, which we had another fantastic uh, weekend there. Um, but what ended up happening between uh, ACS and to now, up, just right up until Thanksgiving, was sickness. You know, my kids just got sick. And so, it, it, you know, now I have everybody turn back. Everybody's here in the room today, which is really good. Except we, because of the, uh, you know, everybody getting a little sick, you know, their lungs aren't quite there right now. So we're trying to get back into it, kind of get them uh, all uh, in shape and ready for regions the next week, which, you know, they didn't fall very far back. They did, you know, come back a little bit, but we're going to move forward and, you know, get their lungs back because they already know how to wrestle. They, they are already really sharp. So, you know, um, that's kind of how it's been since ACS, you know, uh, and, I'm I'm excited uh, that everyone's back in the room. They're healthy. They're ready to go. You can see the fire in their eyes, and I'm really excited about that. And that was James Valentine speaking with KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto about the upcoming home wrestling meet this weekend. The tournament begins at 5 p.m. on Friday and will be held all day Saturday in the Petersburg High School gym. Madeline Valentine is head coach of a local gymnastics program. Her students will perform this weekend during the tournament.